It's the February 15th, 2019 edition of Weekly Signals Meltdown. <laughs> Broadcasting from Studio A at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, our own private Mars rover, Mahler, the fake news dog. Yes. Coming up. Yes. Radioactive robots. Yeah. Don't worry, Mahler. Insect Armageddon, the Great Firewall of Russia, and more. But first, do you like dogs, Mike? Yes, I do. You do? Generally, I yeah. do like dogs, yeah. yes. Well, yeah, yeah, I like you, Mahler. Yes. Yeah. Mahler, you're in my top ten favorite dogs. <laughs> well, in a rambling, incoherent border wall sales pitch in El Paso, Texas, Donald Trump, who today is saying that the whole border is an emergency situation. It's a war zone because women and children streaming across, searching for immigration status as a refugee from a broken country yeah. constitutes a war. Yeah. Today, calling an emergency yes. to the country yes. to build his border wall. On Monday, he did a little sales pitch for it. In the middle of this thing, he started talking about dogs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel, Molly. Disgusting. You do love your dogs, don't you? Yeah, he said to the crowd. I wouldn't mind having one, honestly, but I don't have any time. How would I look walking a dog on the White House lawn? Yes. No, yeah, no. I, he would no. look stupid because I don't know if he ever walks on the White House lawn. He kind of goes there, but it's always to yeah. a car running away from the press. He always looks like that 25-yard distance. He's going to be gassed by the time yeah. he gets to well, the stairs. He yeah, he's, he's a little bit older than me and fat. <laughs> Obese, yeah. actually. Uh, I'm just fat. So he's shaking his head, no, I wouldn't look good walking a dog. Feels a little phony to me. Obama had a dog, Trump said as the audience laughed. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. Uh, Trump is the first president, we've said this before, yeah. in more than a century, not to own a dog. He lived with a dog once <laughs> against his will. Is that right? Against Trump's will and yeah. probably against the dog's <laughs> will, too, when he was with his first wife, Ivana. Ivana. I'm just going to speculate here for just a second, yeah. Nathan Callahan, and say that having a dog would cultivate the emotion of human beings empathizing with another creature, and that's something that Donald Trump, I believe, truly believe is beyond his capability. You think? I do believe that. Yes, huh. Nathan, I do. That's amazing. Yeah. So you're going to psychoanalyze our I, president here I'm today. going to, well, he's the one talking about, you know, about the, dogs. the motivations of other presidents. Yeah. Yeah. So Ivana, she says, "Yes, it's me and Chappie or no one." Oh, no, Chappie was the dog. Oh, Chappie. So, oh. You know Trump. Yeah, he's dictated to by his penis. Ah, yes. I think. Well, I, I, there's got to be something to explain his in level of intelligence, and yeah. that's as good as yeah. any. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me more about Chappie. I, I need. I have to, no uh, idea. I don't even know what breed Chappie is. Do you know Mahler? I guess not. Okay. How do you feel about space exploration, Mike? 
That's yeah, a it's little, a really it's tough one. It's a lot of money. Yes, it and is. And you're shooting it into outer yeah, space. Yeah. On the other hand, it's inspirational. Yes. We find out a lot of things, and we <laughs> learn about where we might be headed. If anything, you could say we're learning about creation. We're learning about the universe, which is a good thing, and how that might impact us because this little rock is not going to last forever. Yeah. So we may need to hit it. I don't think we'll advance that far by you the don't time think we go. You don't think we would ever get to a point where we could go to another planet and establish it's, it's a long ways away, dude. Yeah, they are. And there's a lot of people here. Well, we're not all going. Exactly. Yeah, that is. But at the point in time when we do go, yeah, yeah maybe they'll send up a few stragglers. Yeah. And right. then what? Then what, yeah. Uh, well, how do you feel? I like it. it. Okay. There's a lot of ways to waste money, and that's a good one. Yeah. It seems like the people who dedicate their lives to NASA are good, honest people who are thrilled with the idea of life and the universe. Yeah. NASA announced that the 15-year life of its Mars rover opportunity is over. The cause was system failure brought on by power loss during a catastrophic planet-wide dust storm that engulfed the Opportunity last summer. Opportunity's mission was planned to last just 90 days. Right. When they shot it up there in <clears throat> 2003, mm -hmm. 2004, it landed. Yeah. So for 15 years. Yeah. Almost. They said 90 years. days. Yeah. And they got this bonus. It worked for 5,000 Martian souls, as they call it. In yeah. other words, sun, S-O-L-S, yeah. which are about 39 minutes longer than an Earth day. That's fascinating. Yeah. It was so close to our own yeah. day. And it roved around there 28 most extreme treacherous miles. So that's two robot records for NASA, how long it was there and how far it went. 28 miles. Yeah. That's a good chunk. It found a place to stay. Yeah. It didn't have a lot of capability. It wasn't going to, like, go to San Francisco. Right. You know, it just stayed in a place, and it explored that little area where it was for a long, long time. When it landed, yeah. do you remember the circumstances, how they, oh, yeah, they engineered that? They didn't even know that it had landed because they had to check each system, and it took, like, 15 minutes after landing before they even knew that it was a success. <laughs> They had wrapped it up in these big balloons. Yeah. They wrapped the spaceship itself so that when it landed, it bounced. It hit the Mars surface yeah. and bounced until it rolled to a stop. Okay. It literally landed like a beach ball. Wow. And started bouncing around until it finally came to rest. Pretty amazing. It launched into space on a Delta II rocket on July 2nd. 2003, seven months later, Opportunity touched down in Mars's Meridianan Planum in the southern hemisphere of Mars. By luck, Opportunity had landed on layers of exposed bedrock that would reveal clues about Mars' geologic history stretching back billions of years. Yeah. So it was a lucky little robot. They, yes, yeah? yes, it yeah. was. It landed within a day. It had determined that there was water in the vicinity of where it landed. Yeah. yeah that was pretty amazing. It found water. It found water where it landed. It went on to find a hematite, an iron mineral associated with water, yeah. and a vein of gypsum, which probably formed from mineral-rich water moving through rock. Yeah. So you make all these cool discoveries about Mars. It's a lot of money to spend, but I like it. Yeah. Thrills me. Much better to spend the money there than making movies. And 20, oh, now, well, that was just an attack on no, movies. No, no, I I just, I'm thinking of something else that people like to watch okay. and get entertained by. Mm -hmm. This is actually okay. information that is thrilling if you're of a proper state of mind, okay. I think, okay. to learn about the universe. All right. 
You know, mm-hmm. How many times do you really want to see a love story or somebody's suffering yeah. because they're mentally tormented? I and had watch a, actors do it really well. I don't know. I had a point. That's not me. Oh, I, I had a point in all this. Okay. That is, it's, it went 28.6 miles, I think, is how far it went in its yeah. time there. Uh-huh. So we're sitting in the city of Irvine, California. Yeah. So if you were to go from here, from the University of California, Irvine, it would take you at least to Long Beach. They didn't have freeways on Mars. I'm just saying in distance. These were treacherous I'm trying miles. to give people they, some kind of a reference as yeah. to how far uh, that Land Rover went. They or, could have had quicksand up there. They could. It they could have. Had there a, were all kinds a, of things. Right. A, you know, like a drop-off that right. they didn't perceive. Or there could have been like a space monster that could have just snatched it. Yeah. There were, there were, Ultraman could ultra, have been there. That's that's a pretty good distance. Yeah. 28 miles. That's nothing. How come they didn't go farther? Solar Opportunity power. changed the way scientists perceive Mars, that it has the potential to have been Earth. Yes. That's what Opportunity gave us. Yes. It barely escaped becoming trapped in a sand dune in 2005. Okay. So there you go. Yeah, that yeah. was Those were tough 28 miles. Yeah, they were. It survived a global dust storm in 2007 and undertook the longest trip performed by a rover. Red Rover, Red <laughs> Rover. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The three-year journey from its landing site at Victoria Crater to Endeavor Crater was 13 miles away. Yeah. So it took the long route. Yeah. Well, it was the scenic route. Yeah. That's what it took. So. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of robots, a robot successfully negotiated to the core of the radioactive Fukushima power plant and touched some of the melted fuel sitting inside from the 2011 nuclear meltdown of three reactors. Yeah. That was way back eight years ago. It was. When it melted down. I remember that day. It It was was pretty scary. We're almost at the anniversary, within about a month of the anniversary of when this happened. And they're only now coming to a point where they're even able to approach this core, which is so radioactive that no humans can get this close. They had to deploy this robot to be able to get in there. But secondly, this is a story that in many ways has completely gone off the edge of the earth. We're not talking about Fukushima in the way that we should be, which is the legacy of nuclear power on our planet. This is an extreme example, but we're going to be dealing with radioactive material for hundreds of thousands of years unless we come up with some amazing technology. Japan decided to remove and dispose of the melted nuclear fuel rather than entomb the site like Chernobyl. You know, they just kind of encased Chernobyl and that was that. Yeah. The removal and disposal required developing new robotic technologies to explore the reactors, remove the fuel, and dismantle parts of the plant that are too radioactive for humans. Or or Or, dogs. Yeah, or dogs. Yeah, 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 or dogs. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Radioactive robots, Mahler. By the way, by the way, this is a they're estimating a forty year project. The estimated cost right now is a hundred and ninety four billion dollars. For a reactor that was not supposed to fail, was not supposed to crack up during a tsunami earthquake, and it did. The next step is removing a sample of the fuel for testing, which could take until March 2020. There's about 600 tons of melted fuel, 600 tons, as well as other radioactive flotsam and jetsam scattered at the bottom of the reactors. Fuel removal is scheduled for 2021, first by vacuuming or scooping hardened debris and radioactive dust with a remote control robot arm inserted through the side of the reactor. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> a lot of robots going on here. It's yeah. gonna take. Yeah. It's gonna take forty years to clean this up. Uh, the world's insects. You like them? Yeah. You like insects? Uh, do I like insects? Yes, I do. I love insects. <laughs> Sorry, it took me a sec. I'm still focused on Fukushima. Yes, I love insects. I love insects. I, you know, I love insects the way I love nature. I really don't want to be around it. You know? The world's insects are headed down a path to extinction. Yes. Which would lead to a catastrophic collapse of nature's ecosystems, according to the first global scientific review of insects. More than 40% of insect species are declining and a third are endangered, the analysis found. We're at the start of the sixth mass extinction. With huge losses already reported in larger animals, like, for example, you know, Ma 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 <laughs> yeah, that like, yeah, mammals. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but insects are the most varied and abundant animals, outweighing humanity by 17 times. Yeah. It's, it's wow. kind of hard to <laughs> even fathom. But no. I love the headline on this particular story. What is it? Plummeting insect numbers threaten collapse of nature. Okay. That was in, that's in The Guardian? It's The Guardian. Yeah. Threatened collapse of nature. Yeah. Collapse I mean, of nature. That, yeah. That's... Yeah, I want nature. That's significant. I, like, I and, love nature. And I don't think they're overstating it based on the numbers that you have been talking about, Nathan. Insects are essential for the functioning of all ecosystems as food for other creatures, pollinators, and recyclers of nutrients. Unless we change our ways of producing food, insects as a whole will go down the path of extinction in a few decades, the report said. Repercussions this will have for the planet's ecosystems are catastrophic to say the least. The analysis published in the journal Biological Conservation says intensive agriculture is the main driver of the declines, Yes. particularly the use of pesticides. Yes. Urbanization and climate change are also major drivers. That's right. These are like, I, after, I think we would start getting it. Right. There, there, that's At some the, point. Thank you. Thank you. You know, this is the thing about these problems, these issues. We know what's going on. We understand what is happening, and we well, know how the smart people, and we know how to mitigate it. Yeah. People we've hired to yeah. look into these things, essentially. Yeah. You know, the the people that we have created universities to right. study these subjects, to right. come up with answers and right. solutions to these problems, they understand it. <laughs> so why do we even bother having a university if all we're going to be is stupid like Trump? Yeah. Meanwhile, yes. the emergency in his mind is a border wall. Women and children, yeah. mostly. While insects are getting wiped off the planet. One of the biggest impacts of insect loss is on the many birds, reptiles, and amphibians and fish that eat insects. If their insect diet is taken away, they'll all starve to death. This whole thing is... Yeah. Yeah, there's that. Remember when Australia was in a drought, Mike? Remember those good old <laughs> Gosh, days? Gosh, the good old days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now they've been having record-breaking downpours that's flooded the northeastern coast. Queensland. Kind of closest to us, if you want to look at it that way. Right. That Queensland area. That's not good at all because it's killed hundreds of thousands of cattle. Now, that's just bad for the cattle. Oh, I, I would, saw all those yeah. dead cattle, and it, it's very sad. Doesn't it look apocalyptic? Yeah. The landscape. First of all, it's kind of a clay, dirt a landscape. Yeah. And you see piles, literally piles of 
cattle yeah. who were right. so overcome by the rain and the mud yeah. that they just stopped walking yeah. and then well, died. they couldn't. They, they couldn't, couldn't. Yeah, move. that's right. And then just everything else. I, I would imagine psychologically, trying to get into cow psychology here, can you imagine being in water, being stranded with 20 people? Yeah. And watching the them. rain is pouring down yeah, right. and people are panicking? Yeah. The vibe in that room wouldn't be good. No, they, and no, I'm sure no. they, they, as a herd, they realized that this is it. Yeah. At some level, they understood that they were in real danger. Nearly 50 million acres of land in the state of Queensland have been inundated. By late last week, officials said two years' worth of rain had drowned areas of land that not long ago were parched. Officials estimate that more than 300,000 herd cattle were killed, though the number could rise. One producer, who normally has about 70,000 cattle, found only 1,000 when he was looking for them last week. Countless carcasses, many huddled together in mud, were discovered as water began to recede. It had just been a week since farmers were elated because of the first decent rains in five years. Australia's economy relies heavily on the cattle herds, the majority of which are raised in Queensland. That's the third largest beef and veal exporter in 2017. And in 2017, the country exported about a million tons of beef and veal to 78 countries, including Japan, the United States, South Korea, China, and Indonesia. So hopefully, the silver lining here might be they'll stop raising beef. Yeah. I yeah. don't think that's going to happen, but right. that would be a smart thing to do. Right. Because beef sucks. Beef sucks. It, On that scale, beef sucks. Yeah. Absolutely. The process of raising cattle it's one of the biggest contributors to global warming. It's methane, which is yeah. 70 times or 60 well, or something. not just that. The process. All the rains. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have to clear the land. Transportation that's involved in it. Getting rid of the waste material that comes from the cows. Yeah. That just disposing of it. What it's doing to groundwater in the area around those farms. If we just stopped eating beef, we could pretty much say goodbye to global warming. And yet we probably won't learn this is almost nature giving us a little clue here. I'm global warming you. Yeah. So you'll stop doing this. Right. Are you going to listen? Right. Yeah. However, Nathan, what? hopefully there's some technology that may be around the corner that might be able to help us, right? Yeah, there you go. If this news saddens you, may I recommend a donation to KUCI-FM to lift your spirits? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. You can use PayPal, and you'll be supporting not only a university, but a way of life. That's KUCI.org. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, on Twitter at KUCIFM, on Instagram at KUCI-FM, stream us live on iTunes, go to Internet, College University, KUCI 88.9. Uh -huh. And yes, Mike, there is technology. Yes. A little tease there. That was a tease. I yeah. call that in the radio people, business a tease. We didn't want to lose people no. during the ID. Well, I didn't want people yeah. leaping out of 13-story buildings. Yeah, that's yeah, true, just, too. Yeah, that, I don't, yeah, yeah. There is some yeah. hope, maybe, yeah. possibly around. It's two European entrepreneurs want to remove carbon from the air for profit, that would cut down on climate damage. Yes. Right now, yeah. they have an operating model, 12 large machines stacked in two rows of six that look like oversized front-loading clothes dryers. They're 
direct air capture machines, which collect carbon dioxide from air drawn in through central ducts, electric fans to pull air into the ducts, and over a material known as a sorbent laced with granules that chemically bind with CO2, periodic blasts of heat then release the captured gas from the sorbent with software managing the whole catch and release cycle. Yeah. yeah, That sounds pretty cool. It sounds cool. Yeah. The CO2 will be siphoned into large tanks and trucked to a Coca-Cola bottler. Isn't that weird? It's weird, but it's, it makes what, sense because yeah. Coca-Cola is going to get a little bit of publicity for this where it will become a fizz and a soft drink. Yeah. Uh, today, the machines themselves need a lot of energy to run. An older stack of Climeworks machines, that's the name of the company, 18 in total, have captured about 1,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide from the air and fed it by pipeline to an enormous greenhouse where it's plumping up tomatoes and eggplants. Climeworks is not turning a profit, however, right now. To build and install the 18 units cost between $3 million and $4 million, which is the reason it costs the firm between $500 and $600 to remove a metric ton of CO2 from the air. Climeworks believes the way to gain a commercial foothold is to sell their expensive CO2 to agriculture and beverage companies. Yeah. So they, like Coca-Cola, can say they're eco-friendly. Absolutely. Which, okay. I have no problem you know, with you're this. poisoning people with sugar, yeah. but, you yeah. know, at least you're... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is not what a bad you... deal anyway. If they're <laughs> stupid enough to drink it, they might as well die off. It's just thinning the herd. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Uh -huh. Okay, all right. Climeworks <laughs> believes that over the next seven years, they can bring expenses down to a level that will enable them to sell CO2 into more lucrative markets. Uh, air capture CO2 can be combined with hydrogen to make any kind of fuel. Yeah. Just pick it. So that's a cool thing. Bill Gates is one of the investors. Bill Gates seems like a smart enough guy. I'm going to celebrate Bill Gates, and yeah. at the same time, I'm going to admonish him. Uh-oh. Okay. Bill, if you understand this technology to be actually what it purports to be, which is taking Earth-destroying carbon dioxide out of the environment and repurposing it, one of the other things they're going to do with it is jam it into the ground. They're going to yeah. carbon capture it. Right. Apparently, the ultimate goal is to pull the carbon out and then to bury it forever deep underground yeah. as carbon offset. That's how they'll make their money. Right. So, Bill, you understand that this is a technology that has a lot of promise. It is working on some level. The problem is, is it's not on a scale big enough to have a dramatic impact on the 36 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide that are in our atmosphere. Yeah. You know that it works. This is where government is important, Nathan. Well, we, we don't know that it works. We don't know it'll be cost efficient. That's what I'm getting to. Yeah. We're going to allow, watch the fate of humanity rest on whether or not it's making a profit. This is where government becomes important. Government invests in things that don't make profits in order to enhance the common wealth of all of us. <laughs> Did you see uh, Ilhan Omar question Elliot Abrams? Yes, I did. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. He's a war criminal. Because Elliot and I go yeah. way back. Yeah. I remember He's this He's lied guy. to Congress about yes. killing civilians. Yes. And now he's facing questions from Congress because this administration thinks he's a cool guy. Yes. And Omar pretty much called him a war criminal. Yes. She didn't exactly, but she questioned him along those lines. Yes, she As did. you would question a war criminal. Over the weekend, Republican House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy 
said he would seek to formally sanction the first two Muslim congresswomen, that would be Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, because of their criticism of Israel's occupation of Palestine, which McCarthy said their actions were even more reprehensible than Republican Congressman Steve King's defense of white supremacy. Well, of course he did. Which is a joke because Steve King retweets white supremacist garbage. Yeah. That's what he exactly does. Right. On Twitter, this is what Omar had done. She said, it's all about the Benjamins. And she was referencing Puff Daddy's 90s tribute to $100 bills. Right. Benjamins. Right. Okay. Right. Omar said that she was talking about fundraising money. I get that. Cash from the likes of the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, political, political known as APAC. Committee. APAC, yeah. Yeah. The powerful pro-Israel lobbying organization. And so APAC... It did in response to Omar, mobilized its troops, and condemned Omar's comments, saying she was anti-Semitic. Right. <laughs> I'm getting tired of this crap. Yeah, me too. Real tired of it. Me too. Your policies are bad. All right. This isn't about Semitism or anti-Semitism. This is about bad policy. If she said something that was anti-Semitic, if it was a reference to some sort of stereotype about Jewish people... Well, they, they assumed they, that it was. They, 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 but they, money they runs extrapolated the whole that. Yeah. Because she, she's brought up money. Yeah. APAC is one of the most powerful political entities in Washington, D.C. You shouldn't be trading in racist tropes, is what the allegation against her was. And I don't think she was. On the record, we condemn that. However, you can be diametrically 180 degrees opposed to Israeli policies, the policies of the Israeli government and the policies of APAC, what they espouse, and not be anti-Semitic. People refuse to uh, acknowledge yeah. that. And we got to get over it, too. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. government runs through money. Right. Our capitalist system runs through money. Right. That someone would point that out <laughs> has nothing to do with racism. It's a new day. Congress members like Ohan and... Cortez and others are going to start calling these people on it. Good. They're going to freak out and to the point where this is just the, the way it's going to be for a while. So now everybody's saying that uh, Omar is anti-Semitic. But here's the deal. Last month, the Israel lobby helped push through the Senate a clearly unconstitutional law to ban speech promoting a boycott of Israeli money. That's right. Donations, cash, Benjamins. They're trying to put laws in place that would make it illegal to essentially support the boycott divestment yeah. movement because of the Israelis' treatment of the Palestinians. That's yeah. how this came about. That, to me, is the travesty here. Yes. Nothing about Benjamins. By the way, if you have any Benjamins, hand them over to KUCI 88.9 FM. Even if you have Washingtons, it's yeah. okay. We yeah. like Washingtons, well, Washington. too. Benjamins, Lincoln, yeah. Andrew All Jackson. We're okay with any of those. Yeah. yeah. The Trump administration's Consumer Financial Protection Bureau proposed lifting the requirement that payday lenders check a borrower's ability to repay. That's crazy. <sighs> payday loans are a ripoff. Yeah. No one with a Visa card or line of credit would even think about right. getting a payday loan. Right. Therefore, financially desperate people, of course you should see if they're ever able to repay. You don't want people getting worse in debt. No. That's not what a bank is supposed to do. No. Feed off of people in need. That's right. The most vulnerable people. Yeah. These are the most vulnerable. Yeah. They're if you're a banker and you're doing this, I can't say what I think of I, you. Same you way. know, I hope you burn in hell. Yeah. This well, is really, this is legalized loan sharking. This is organized crime. 
One of the Obama administration's best consumer protection actions was a set of rules for payday loans that the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau issued in November of 2017. The Bureau's 2017 rules barred payday lenders from making a loan unless they determined the borrower could repay it. That's good. Yeah. Just like banks and mortgage lenders have to do. Yeah. The rules made an exception for loans of less than $500, but only if borrowers were allowed to repay the amount in stages over about three months. And the Obama rules limited the number of payday loans that a person could take out in quick succession, too. Not long after Donald Trump named a new leader to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, it started attacking the 2017 rules. The Trump administration says that it's trying to preserve a valuable form of credit. Yeah. That's yeah. their... These payday loan guys are giving a lot of money to yeah. the Republican Party. They what they're doing been, is yeah. they're making grifters happy. Yes, that's what's going that's on. Exactly and they're right. paying back the administration. <laughs> that's right, Mahler. The grievance board for federal workers has one person left, and he's about ready to leave. Mark Robbins is leaving as acting chairman of the Merit Systems Protection Board which serves as a personal court for federal employees. Yeah. Whether or not the board will still live and function with no one at the top could determine whether thousands of federal workers will have their grievances heard. The agency with eight regional offices was created in 1978 to ensure that personnel decisions in the executive branch are free from partisan politics. Gosh. And that's important. Yes. Without this board, it's going to be cronies. That's right. Two of the board's three seats have been vacant for the entire Trump administration. It's a long story, but what it comes down to is this guy's the last one left, and on February 28th, he might be gone. And the Justice Department attorneys have told Robbins, once he leaves, the office could be operating illegally because there's no one at the top. So the whole system may collapse, and that pretty much means, as one retired director of the board's research department said, it's not overly dramatic to say that the civil service is at risk here. Wow. Yeah. And the context of this whole thing, uh, according to uh, Representative Gerald Connolly from North Virginia, we have an administration that's hostile to employee rights. And this seems deliberate and by design. And Trump brings this up all the time. When the shutdown was occurring, he referenced that the employees were mostly Democrats. Remember how he would yeah. bring that up all the time? Yeah. They're mostly Democrats. And maybe that's because Democrats care more than Republicans. Right. Right. Maybe they don't want to be involved in companies that rip people off and payday lenders. Maybe they want to do something for the environment. Maybe right. that's where they go for employment. When Trump was elected president and came into office, Steve Bannon appeared before the CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, and he said one of the pillars, one of the three goals of the Trump administration was the destruction of the administrative state. Yeah. They stated that as one of their primary goals. And that's that's what this is. That's what this is. Russia is planning to temporarily disconnect from the internet as part of what it says is an experiment to test its cyber defense. Russia says the disconnection is so that they can analyze the country's preparedness for a draft law mandating a sovereign internet. Under the draft law, all internet traffic would be carried within the country's own networks. Any traffic that leaves Russia would be forced to go through registered exchange points. Sounds like censorship to me. Yes. They say the goal of the legislation is to protect the Russian internet from U.S. cyber attacks. But Mike and I think it's about duplicating the Great Firewall of China. 
Russia wants to restrict the access of the country's internet users to content deemed acceptable yes. by authorities. Exactly right. It's also moved to block web pages run by opposition. It's already done this. Moved to block web pages run by opposition figures such as Alexei Navalny, who's a Kremlin critic. Agora, a Russian human rights group, said in a report this month that Russia internet freedoms have fallen fivefold in the past 12 months. And Putin has called the internet a CIA project. We're at war with Russia. We're in a different kind of war. We're in a cyber war with Russia. And this is an example of what I'm talking about. They are preparing for an increased involvement in cyber warfare. That's what this is about. And also yeah. shutting their people out of getting I, I free information. I think it has to do about control, too. Yeah. Population control. And finally, workers in a Hong Kong potato chip factory unpacked a bushel of French potatoes only to discover a potato-sized German hand grenade from World War I. Oh, my God. can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.